The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Let's pray. Almighty God, we've been content to be immature and childish. We've been content to pretend that we don't know what it means to grow up. We've been defensive and hard-hearted Lord, we've been proud and we've been arrogant and we have not given you the time or the space necessary to grow us up in the gospel of Jesus. Instead, the thorns and the thistles have grown in our lives, the love of money, the responsibilities of life, the love for other things, Lord, I'm asking today in the name of Jesus, would you come and would you quicken us in this broadcast? Would you open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing of growing up in you, Jesus? Would you show us clearly what it means to grow up? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Let's go directly to the book of Hebrews. I want to share some things with you from the book of Hebrews in the sixth chapter, where he begins by, by writing, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity or to completion or to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance, repentance from acts that lead to death. But probably what the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about is the whole sacrificial system, the the laws that govern the ceremonial aspects of the Jewish faith. He's addressing primarily Jewish people and he's saying to them it's time to grow up it's time to leave behind the old covenant and move fully into the new covenant he's saying let's not talk any further about this need for you to repent because you have been drawn back into Judaism Then he continues, and faith in God. Many churches today spend most of their time talking about faith in God, the power of faith, the wonderful nature of faith. You can be certain that if your pastor is constantly talking to you about faith, 
either he is a very immature Christian or he believes his church is very immature and he is afraid to call you to grow up in Jesus. The writer of the book of Hebrews includes constant talking about faith in God and instruction in faith as a sign of immaturity in the people or the leader. Then instructions about baptisms. I was teaching this last night at our prayer time for the National Prayer Chapel. And immediately an argument arose about baptism. Does a man have to be baptized in order to be saved? And the argument went back and forth. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that is an immature discussion. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. He's saying there are some important aspects to each of these questions, but if this is your focus, you are still walking in immaturity. You need to grow up in Jesus. Well, I've read this many times, as I'm sure many of you have. And I have wondered, well, what does he mean, grow up in Jesus? And what is this about? I want to grow up in Jesus. I don't want to be immature. I don't want to be childish. I want to be a mature man of God walking in faith and victory over all sin and over all darkness. And when I pray, I want to know that I'm standing before the God of heaven in the throne room and my prayers are answered. Now he says, we're going to leave these elementary teachings and God permitting, we will do so. And then he issues a very stern warning. It is impossible for those who have been once enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. That also was a very troubling passage to me until as I was reading it, the Holy Spirit began to unveil for me the deep meaning of this passage. There is a reason why men cannot repent. It is not because they have committed the unpardonable or the unpardonable sin. There is another reason, and he lists that reason, giving us two. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, so in other words, by the actions of a person's life, they are demonstrating scorn for Jesus. They are, by their words and their actions, agreeing with the powers of darkness that Jesus has no power to deliver you from sin. He has no power to make you perfect. He has no power in his blood 
but yet when you die, you will be made perfect, so that death now becomes our Savior and not the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's saying people who believe this, they cannot repent. In their immaturity, they have chosen to believe things that prevent them from entering into the depths of Jesus Christ. Now you remember the parable that Jesus taught regarding a wedding. In that parable, there are five foolish virgins and five wise virgins, and they are waiting for the bridegroom. They are waiting so that they can accompany him into the wedding feast. But when he comes, he finds five have no oil, and they have to quickly go to try to purchase oil. But by the time they have purchased the oil and returned, the door has been shut, and they are not allowed entrance because the bridegroom says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. So there are, according to Jesus, one half of the church that will never grow up, that will never mature, that will refuse to repent of the deep sins of their heart because they are constantly in opposition to Jesus. They are never coming into agreement with Jesus regarding their sin. Now, make no mistake, I love being a pastor and a preacher of righteousness. I love being a holiness preacher. I am beyond honored by God to be so privileged as to present the gospel of Jesus on this radio station and in the church and with individuals as I meet with them and talk with them. But may I tell you the most difficult part of my work as a pastor, and frankly, it is quite exhausting. That is, dealing with couples and with individuals who refuse to grow up in Jesus, who constantly demand their bottle of milk and their binky and to have their diapers changed. They are always fighting. They are always defensive. They are always protecting themselves from every argument of the gospel. They love their immaturity. And when two of these people get married, there is a constant hash and rehash of the past. There is never any progress forward in love and mercy and compassion. There is never any building of the kingdom of God. There is instead constantly trying to take pastor's time to get down in the dirt with them 
and try to settle their squabbles. That is the most exhausting part of my work. Now, Wesley said if he preaches the true gospel of Jesus, he should not have to spend very much time in counseling with people who only want to squabble. I believe that's true. But there will always be a few, even in the National Prayer Chapel, who insist on the privilege of remaining immature. And I want to show you today what it means, what the writer of the book of Hebrews means, when he begins to talk about, let's go on to maturity. What is that maturity? And what is the understanding that will allow me to begin to make progress in my walk with Jesus? And so let's move forward. And let me show you what is being talked about. We'll go to chapter 6 in the book of Hebrews, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now you recognize the journey that Abraham had to make. It is the pilgrim's journey. That's why this broadcast is Pilgrim's Progress, because we want to make real progress toward heaven, toward an eternal destiny where there is everlasting life and salvation in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us that we may be greatly encouraged. So there is a promise of God and there is a covenant of God that he will open a way for us into the heavenly realm. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus went before us, has entered on our behalf. Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. Remember the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant sits, and in it is the Law of Moses given on Mount Sinai in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Jesus went into that place 
Now, you know, if you have been listening at all to this broadcast, that you could only enter into that Holy of Holies once a year as high priest, and then you had to take the blood of a lamb or a goat or a bull. You had to take that blood in and sprinkle it on that Ark of the Covenant to make atonement that you would not be destroyed in the presence of God. Now, Jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies, but he has taken with him his own blood. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, usually when we talk about Melchizedek, it is telling the story of Abraham after he delivers his nephew Lot from the armies that have invaded and captured Sodom and Gomorrah. And usually when we talk about this as pastors, we usually speak about it in terms of the biblical basis for giving 10% tithe to the Lord. Because Abraham, this is pre-Old Covenant, this is under the Everlasting Covenant, Abraham brought 10% of everything and gave it to Melchizedek. But I want to show you today that there's a much deeper meaning And if you don't have an understanding of this deeper meaning, you will never have the ability or the courage to grow up in Jesus. It will make all the difference. Let's go to chapter 7. Now understand, through the first five chapters of the book of Hebrews, he has been laying the foundation of the greatness of Jesus Christ. He has identified Jesus as God. You understand that all of the names we use for God, like Jesus, Lord, Savior, Messiah, all of the names that we know God by in the Old and the New Testament are names of a aspect of salvation it is the the presence of god in the name of god that identifies the intention of god that is the father son and holy spirit to save us from our sins to do away with our sins and to restore us Now, many of you have been caught in the lie of the Roman Catholic Church regarding original sin. There is no such thing in the Scripture as original sin, meaning that all of us are under the curse of original sin, and all of us must suffer for Adam's sin. That's a myth. It needs to be very clear to you that you will suffer only for your own sin, if it is not forgiven. 
what happened in the Garden of Eden when they turned against the Lord. They gave their loyalty to the devil. They stole from God from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They joined the rebellion and they were changed. They lost the glory and light of God. So now they found they were naked and they were ashamed. Now, one of the laws of creation is that every kind produces after its kind. A horse produces a horse. A dog produces a dog. A cat produces a cat. A sinner man, in rebellion against God, produces a sinner man in rebellion against God. You cannot be baptized as an infant and have that nature broken. That's why infant baptism is just foolishness. A person must come to a point in their life where they recognize their wickedness and they honestly repent of their sin and turn from it by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now that person is ready to be baptized. So let's deal now with Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. We always think of priesthood as the ironic priesthood, not the ironic, but the ironic, meaning the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the Old Covenant, the animal sacrifices including all of the ceremonial and dietary rules governing the Old Covenant, including the moral law. All of these were given as a part of the Old Covenant. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of God Most High. So here is a priesthood being identified that is not of the priesthood of Aaron. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name, that is Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, who was Melchizedek? I don't know. I've heard many arguments about who Melchizedek was. Some say he was probably Shem, because Shem was still alive and all of his past had been wiped out. Some have suggested that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I don't know who Melchizedek was, but the important issue is not who he was, but what he was. He was a priest 
He was the king of righteousness. He was, he was the king of peace. He, he did not have a father or a mother. He had no genealogy. He was without the beginning of days or the end of life. In other words, Melchizedek is still alive. He never dies. He was not born as a normal man, and he doesn't die as a normal man. He is forever a priest. Then he goes on, Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch, Abraham, gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers. Even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, this priest, Melchizedek, is greater than Father Abraham. That he collected the tithe from the one who had the promise of the Jewish people. Now, verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that is, through the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, if perfection could have been attained through this priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Now it's very clear that Melchizedek was not a descendant of Judah. He lived before Judah. It's also very clear that Jesus Christ was not he was not a descendant of Moses or Aaron. He was not from the tribe of Judah, or he was, he was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. Now, listen. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it was declared, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, 
Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, let's break down before I lose you. What's the writer of the book of Hebrews saying? He's saying, first of all, look, you have to grow up. Boys and girls, you have to grow up in Jesus. The only way you can grow up is to leave behind the issues that are not really the issues. Don't focus on what happens to the dead. I know there are lots of fights over what happens when you die. Do you go to hell immediately or do you go to a holding place? Well, I don't know. I haven't been there. I can argue both ways. When you're cast into hell, are you consumed and then turned to dust? Or do you burn forever in the fires of hell? I don't know. I can argue it both ways from Scripture. But we set these arguments up, and the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, look, would you stop it? Would you grow up? Would you stop arguing about what happens when a man dies? Will you stop arguing about, is there a secret rapture or isn't there a secret rapture? The judgment of God. These are not the issues of consequence. The issue the writer of the book of Hebrews says is, boys and girls, will you grow up? Now, when he wants to talk to you about growing up, he wants to talk about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. If we don't have a proper understanding of the priesthood of Jesus, we will never grow up into Jesus. We will always remain one of those five foolish virgins. You have to go deep in Jesus if you're going to grow up in him. And that means you have to understand his priesthood. You have to understand his function. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was raised from the grave, why didn't God end everything right there and take his holy people to heaven? Why have we gone on another 2,000 years in this horrific struggle against the powers of darkness and the vile wickedness of this world? where a wicked religion sends men with vests filled with explosives to blow themselves up. What a vile religion. Why all of this wickedness allowed? To answer that question, you must understand and grow up and understand the priesthood of Jesus. In other words, where is Jesus now? The book of Hebrews will tell us that Jesus is now ministering in the tabernacle made without hands. But see, those of you who believe that all of your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven deny Jesus the work he must perform for us in the heavenly sanctuary. You deny the need for these 2,000 years for God to work out his perfection in the heart of his people. You say, all of my past, present, and future sins are finished. 
They're forgiven. I'm saved. It's a finished work at the cross. No, it wasn't. No, the work of God was not finished at the cross. Jesus did not finish his work at the cross. But you say, he said, it is finished. Well, what was finished? What was finished at the cross was provision of the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ. That did not mean that the blood had been applied yet. In the Old Covenant, we have declared righteousness. In the New Covenant, we have made righteous. So the explanation for why 2,000 years of history is very simple but very difficult. It means that Jesus wanted to apply his blood to his people in such a manner that he would have for himself a bride spotless without wrinkle that his people would walk clean and pure through the vileness of this earth, and Satan's arguments against him would be utterly defeated. The argument of Satan was that no man could keep the law of God, that no man could be made righteous, that no man would willingly walk clean in the vile world, that he would would get every man for his kingdom. I tell you boldly today, Satan does not have me for his kingdom. I belong to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And every ounce of my energy and every dollar of money that comes into my possession is going to be used to fight against the powers of darkness for the salvation of men and women. To free, to grasp men and women and draw them out of the of the power of Satan. I do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of my coming to this radio broadcast is to teach you the deep things of God, to cause you to grow up in Jesus and understand what God wants with you. He wants an army of righteous men and women who will gather together in his name, who will utterly reject the devil and his kingdom, who will pray, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word kingdom there does not mean geographic. That word kingdom means royal authority. So a Christian is one who stands under the royal authority of Jesus Christ. And all of his energy is used, all of his time, all of his money is used not to establish his kingdom as opposed to God's kingdom. Because if I'm building my own kingdom, I'm building the kingdom of darkness. I'm building the kingdom of wickedness. I'm building the kingdom of Satan himself. I choose not to do that. I choose to build the kingdom of the living Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now he goes further. Now there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save 
completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Now I want to go back to that one that one very, very important word. We talked about it earlier, but we need to come now in the context of what I'm sharing. In Luke 13, verse 11, there is a woman. This precious woman is bent over, cannot stand upright. And Luke uses this phrase, of being healed completely. This woman has been under this spirit of infirmity, of sickness for 18 years, of being bent over and not being able to stand up straight. Can you imagine the pain of that and the shame of that? Jesus released her from that bondage And the scriptures say he released her completely. It's the same Greek word that is used now by the writer of Hebrews to say, for which reason he is also able to save completely. In other words, this high priest has the power of the blood he shed on Calvary. He has the authority because of the atonement he has made that has been accepted by the Father. And now, from the heavenly sanctuary, he constantly lives to intercede for those he is saving completely, that he has totally released from their bondage of Satan's lies completely released from the bondage of sin, healed completely. Many people that I speak with are bent over under the heavy burden of sin. And when I try to speak with them about being completely delivered from that, they rise up in anger, looking at me from their bent over position, saying, I'm a sinner and I'm always going to be a sinner. There is no deliverance from my sin. I can never be perfect before God. It sounds so wise. When everyone is bent over, if you're not bent over, you're going to look strange. You're going to look different from everyone else. They don't want to be different. They don't want to cause any commotion. They don't want to cause anyone to question them about what happened. Do you understand? The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, as surely as Jesus touched that woman who for 18 years walked in her infirmity, this priest, this high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, This high priest 
will heal you completely. Let that soak in. The word is saying you no longer have to walk in the bondage of your wickedness. Now who is it that's saying this? The writer of the book of Hebrews. But Jesus. You see, there is a dramatic difference between the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron's priesthood is after the law, the shedding of animals' blood, being declared righteous. The priesthood of Melchizedek is after the Spirit. He is the King of righteousness. He is the King of peace. And now, this high priest has come whom God has said will always be after the order of Melchizedek, never after the order of Aaron. So there is a total transformation. There is a changing of the law. There is a changing of everything. Now there is an obedience. There is a righteousness that comes from God, but it comes through a different high priest. It doesn't come through Aaron. It instead, to the glory of God, comes by way of a new high priest. It comes by way of Jesus. Jesus is the high priest of righteousness, of peace. Aaron was never the priest of righteousness. He was never the priest of peace. Most of us have grown up under the priesthood of Aaron, trying hard, trying to be righteous, giving up and saying, I can never be righteous. I'm going to always walk in my sin. Now there has to be this sacrifice for me to cover my sin, but I'll, I'll just have it covered. I'll never have it removed. Do you understand the difference between the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Melchizedek or of Jesus? Is that in the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, you could only be declared righteous. You could not be made righteous. But the glorious news is that in Jesus Christ, a man or a woman who comes to him, repents of their sin, humbles their heart before him, denies themselves, takes up their cross, and is crucified with Christ. It is Jesus himself who will do the work of crucifying. You cannot crucify yourself. He speaks of it in another place as Jesus coming and circumcising your heart. The cutting away of that which you think will give you the ability to produce for yourself. It is the removal of self-pride. How does this happen? 
It is a supernatural work of God that he will do in us and for us. But we must humble our hearts and repent and ask that this work be done in our hearts. It is not done by the Levitical priesthood. It is not done by effort and sweat. There will be suffering involved. And the suffering is the denial of the old flesh as it is stripped away from us and is utterly removed from our hearts. And we are made into new creatures in Christ Jesus. Please hear me. There is a place so much higher that Jesus desires to take you to. There is a place of righteousness that Jesus desires to give to you. There is a place of purity. There is a place of love and joy and peace that Jesus desires to take you to. Are you willing to let him take you there? Ephesians, Paul calls it, being raised up and seated with Christ on the throne in heavenly places. This can be your actual experience in Jesus. But it requires growing up. It requires an understanding that now Jesus is interceding for me Jesus is now involved. He has been a sacrifice for sin once and for all. And now he ministers that blood to your life and to my life. So what is the point of all of this I'm saying? Let me read it for you in Hebrews, the eighth chapter. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. This is the command center of heaven for the salvation of men and women. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already a sanctuary, but it is a copy, a shadow of the one that is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the forefathers when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt. 
because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So the Jewish people had this very painful process going on in their in their time and space in history life. All that they'd known in Judaism was being swept away because everything in Judaism pointed to Jesus Christ. Now there are some who want to hold on to those old things that pointed to Jesus. I don't judge them. But I wish they would grow up in Jesus. Because in Jesus is found every treasure. Everything a man or woman needs is found in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Now please understand. Jesus wants to come to you as the priest in the order of Melchizedek. Not in the order of the law, but in the order of the Holy Spirit. I am not under the law. The law is only for lawbreakers. If you break the law, you are under the law, and it will punish you. But there is a place in a new covenant open for each of us where we no longer remain lawbreakers, where we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, where we grow up in Jesus and begin to understand the fabulous gift he has given us of being remade in his image and restored to the original Adam. Except this time, we're mature in Jesus. And we're not going to fall again for the tricks of Satan. We've been washed and changed, transformed, metamorphosed. We have been born from above. We have been crucified with Christ and entered into his resurrection. We have victory in Jesus. This is growing up. If you do not have victory in Jesus, it's because you do not understand the priesthood he offers, and you are yet immature and squabbling about the inconsequential things compared to the glory of dwelling in Jesus Christ. He is the high priest. Now, I'm going to come back to this. When I come back live on radio, it will be Hebrews, the ninth chapter. I'm going to be off air with sermons and classic broadcast airing Thursday and Friday of this week and all of next week. 
I don't have a producer to work with me during that time. And so I'm going to take that time to rest and pray and be in the presence of Jesus to let him grow me up even more, to mature in Jesus. I ask, would you, would you pray for me? I need your prayers. Now, we're about out of time. I'm going to again invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. Let me give you the address. We're located at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. The address is 14851. That's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. We're right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find today's video and many others. You'll also find directions for how to come to the National Prayer Chapel. I pray God will move in your heart to grow up in Jesus. And if you need to come to grow, then come and grow with us. I thank you for listening today. I pray it's been clear that you understand. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you, my brother and sister. I want you to grow up in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.